Yeah. Welcome everybody, welcome back to the podcast Who Am I? We're back with Stephen and William. And as you know, one of our favorite topics is mental illness. Um, it's been a personal topic in our, it's been a big topic in our personal lives. It is something that we see around us and wish we could help more. And I think um, one thing that we can start with uh, in helping other people is just sharing our own experience, our own insights in what we've learned, how to deal with uh, these types of um, life situations and just coming to, ter to terms with it, uh, being more comfortable with it, not feeling like we're the only one. Uh, that is already a big help in itself. And so in the past, we talked about depression and anxiety. You can find those former episodes on our homepage, whoamipodcast.com and watch them or listen to them. And today our topic will be OCD. That is short for obsessive compulsive disorder. And I thought uh, we could start out by sharing our personal experiences and then see if this has any and how much application to other people who don't believe that they are suffering from it, but they might just be able to get something from this discussion anyway, because I believe that everyone has something like OCD, but to varying degrees. Anyway, we'll get into that um, yeah, in the second that. half. Maybe discuss what uh, sparked this that you told me before we started recording, like right. what, and then a little bit about what made you to think about this. Because when you told me that Ted asked me um, to do one about OCD, and then you discussed a little bit about you know how unwanted thoughts come into our head and stuff, and I was it, I was very glad that you had asked to do that because I hadn't really thought about OCD in that way because it's just another level like it's a more again compulsion obsessive compulsive disorder. And so I was like, this is gonna be a really fun topic. And I was like looking for fun in an educational way, because again, it's a difficult mental yes. health struggle. Yeah, health. let's make OCD fun, great. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, terminology, but yeah, go for it. Okay, so motivation. Um, I was in a discussion with several friends and we we're talking about how we deal with unwanted thoughts. You know, thoughts that just pop into our heads uh, without us deliberately or uh, voluntarily coming up with them. Um, it could take you by surprise, but I think it is an everyday occurrence, actually. Yeah. Um, so it's good to be aware of this, because then you can actually choose your response to it. You can be responsible, responsible, yeah. able to choose your response rather than being a passive object or a victim of those thoughts. So one of them said, you can say no to your thoughts. You can choose to think something else. You can take control of the story that is being told in your head. Another one said, um, you can sing a song or at least think of a song um, and that will then clear your head of, of the unwanted things up there. Um, because apparently there's only room for one thing at a time. And I think that's, that's not very accurate, but sure, maybe one main thing. Obviously, it's very, can, yeah, very layman's way of looking at it. But yeah, there's one dominating thing, I guess, maybe. Yeah, we do multitask. Um, 
but one maybe one active one conscious thing surface thought maybe rather than yeah conscious thought. and then i thought hmm this sounds like uh too, <laughs> this treatment is too superficial at least uh from my personal experience so i explained to them what ocd is like from a first person perspective because if you haven't had anything like it you probably can't understand it uh, and it's um i guess you can know about it in theory but i explained to them what it's like when um, a thought gets stuck in my head and just goes round and round what is that called rumination um and you i just can't seem to shake it and it can make me pretty crazy and at those times distraction is probably the the best way for me to deal with that um, but it has to be quite an intense distraction though doesn't it because it's it has to kind of counter the intensity of the compulsive yeah. thought yeah that's pretty yeah. true so it shouldn't be something like working <laughs> that is something that that you have a hard time focusing on anyway it should yeah. be so in my case i love to watch uh streamers play super mario uh, different Super Mario games online and it just captures my attention because I, I love following Mario's adventures basically and, yeah. uh, and seeing the person's reactions. So I love it when, when you can also see their face on the screen because it shows their emotions and then you can kind of put yourself in their place. Uh, and that's better for me than actually playing games like Super Mario because I will quickly get frustrated with all my failures and that is counterproductive. So seeing someone else fail at a game is actually entertaining, <laughs> but yes, when it's myself, it uh, it will just increase the the tension inside of me. Again, it, it's such an interesting strategy, like um, to adopt something that you yourself wouldn't be able to do necessarily because it make you more frustrated or whatever, but actually experience what the other person is experiencing to again help distract you from whatever frustrations you're feeling like obsessive thoughts or whatever that you can't get rid of um again it's a much more immersive um method than just saying no or singing a little song in your head or whatever because again when these compulsive thoughts get into our heads because i i don't think i personally have like a, a strong form of ocd at all but I know in the past, like like you said, that anxiety and um, like depression, they all cross over in various forms. Mm -hmm. um, I can see the obsessive side of you know an anxiety, anxious thought, or with my depression and the suicidal tendencies that I've had in the past. Um, it's again like a compulsive thought. It's like where like in my brain it's there it's not like you know i'm choosing to have this thought it's just a thought that appears and it just stays it won't go away like uh, something will trigger it or whatever thought will come into my head and then it'll be yeah why what's the point in living all this kind of um again obsessed obsessive and compulsive thoughts and potentially actions and there are again many different ways to um, overcome those these again strong desires that just happen to come into our brains and one thing for me again was the creative stuff 
like when I immerse myself in my artwork or writing or whatever, it helps to very much um, remove, um, yeah, the, or at least settle down the compulsions because they're almost always there in a way. Like, I don't know what it's like with your OCD, if it's sometimes like quieter, louder, sometimes completely gone. I don't know. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure myself because this just goes on in the background. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I suppress it. Uh, sometimes I try to deal with it. And that's sometimes possible, but not always. Um, I would like to distinguish, first of all, what the words obsessive and compulsive mean, uh, because that can be confusing in itself. So from what I've read, um, an obsession in the context of OCD is um, the, the train of thought that you have that seems just to have a life of its own and is really difficult to control or switch off or ignore. So we've, we've already mentioned that. And then a compulsion is a ritualistic, habitual reaction to the obsessive thoughts that are usually anxiety-ridden and by performing the habit the anxiety decreases so one of the most well-known um examples is washing your hands yeah, or maybe in general yeah like yeah or i don't know touching a doorknob i don't know these are the things that you hear about in the media yeah. um i can't think of other examples or, or i don't know clicking your heels or something or and as you say, the washing the hands and the um, doorknob stuff, it comes from the anxiety potentially of, you know, bacteria. Or yeah, it actually ha all has logical origins. You can, like, once you analyze these things, usually with the help of a therapist, you start to see a, a causal train of thought that, that those obsessive thoughts are not just random, <clears throat> but that your anxiety is actually rooted in something and and maybe the the root belief where it originates is weird and doesn't make sense to you but then the the follows following steps the causal steps from there can kind of make sense and that is a, a great step on the way towards healing your disorder so when is it a disorder because everyone has fears and thoughts that they didn't choose to have and and do things out of habit, that's totally normal. But when does it get to a degree of disorder? When you can no longer work full time, when you can no longer... Yeah, socially, like, economically. Yeah, or look after yourself, take care of yourself financially. Um, when you're, yeah, so if it's, um, it, can, it can be a social anxiety, for example. Yeah. Um, um, I've had a few close friends that have had and family members that have had quite severe OCD where things like locking the door four or five times, they were checking it, checking the yeah. door before you leave the house. And over the years, at first, because I was younger, I didn't really understand it. It was very frustrating. It was very much like, well, come on, just let's just go. You, you know, you've locked it once. What, why are you having an issue? And then now, in like being a mature, experienced, I can you know see and understand completely why that's a thing. And what fascinates me is 
um, because it's an obsessive compulsion, in a way it has to happen to a degree. There has to be, for some people, it has to, you have to go through that process. But if you let it keep going, it becomes unhealthy, if that makes sense. So the obsession becomes more obsessive. Like most things, if you don't rein it in, then it can just spiral out of control. So like you say, you go find a Mario to watch with someone's reaction so that the obsession of compulsive thoughts or um, don't become too much. And with people that I've known, um, I've seen over the years it get worse and worse and worse because there's no, there's nothing they do to either resist or um, change or help them, help them with it. They just, if someone tells them, no, you really shouldn't be doing it that much, they will get defensive. Mm-hmm. And be like, no, it's my OCD. And that is true, it is their OCD, but there has to be a give and take between, in my opinion, I don't know what actual um, therapist would say, but from what I've seen, there has to be a rein it in so it doesn't get out of control over years and time. You have to try and heal and work with the, um, the thoughts and then the compulsion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another thing that I've read is called something like the fear trick or something where, <clears throat> let's see if I can remember this. Um, so you have a belief that something terrible will happen, right? That, that, so usually the, the root belief is something that you built up in your childhood where um, someone left the stove on and then the kitchen burnt down or the whole house burnt down. And then when you're an adult, you keep checking the, the dials on your oven, on your stove um, to see that they're all zero. And you keep checking and checking and checking, kind of like the, the bolt associate, on the door. You associate that one experience to all other experiences related to it. Yeah. And so you are afraid of the house being robbed or burning down. And then you, you frantically check and check and check and then after you realize that the house is not burnt down you say great it's good that i checked so much because that only if if it weren't for that the house would have burned down so it was actually good and necessary for me to be so hyper careful and therefore i will keep doing it so that feeds the belief that strengthens it it strengthens belief and it's so easy to form the belief patterns in our brain. That's really easy to do, but to unravel them is so difficult. Yeah. Like it's so, it's so strange that if it was as easy to unravel making that thought pattern, it, life would be so much easier. I don't understand why, I don't understand why it's so easy to form those <laughs> relations and connections in our brains and then not just go, oh wait, hang on a minute, this has become unhealthy. And then switch it off. It's so strange that it's not as easy to unwind it as it is to make it. Right. No, that's a very good point. Uh, my theory is that these beliefs are formed very quickly and, and go very deeply, you know, stay there for decades um, until they're, they're a huge problem in our lives because they are um, connected to survival instinct. So okay. you are, yeah. the fear that you have is usually of dying or of someone hurting you, you know, severely. Yeah. Yeah. And so when, uh, so I don't think I had any um, physical abuse in my childhood. 
Um, I'm not sure about verbal. I don't know. Uh, anyway, children are very sensitive. So what we what we think is a normal disciplining could be uh, could be experienced as abuse on their part. Yeah. So it can happen quite quickly and unintentionally that way. But you know, it's very likely that you have a trauma for the rest of your life if you were abused physically or sexually. Anyway, um, when you when the child feels that it's about to die, and and then it it, it develops some um, protection instinct, and so that will be so ingrained in them so strongly and so deeply that when something in the future it, that is associated with it that is totally harmless from a rational perspective happens, yeah. then the child feels the same instinct, and you know just suddenly becomes angry or gets that fight or flight instinct and you think, whoa, that, that was a totally unwarranted reaction. Why did you suddenly attack me like that? Or, yeah. or why did you start shouting when I just mentioned that topic? And so there is a good reason for it. It's just so yeah. Yeah. well hidden because yes. it's in That's childhood. And, and the way that yeah. children deal with trauma is to suppress and they are Aces, they are perfect at it. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, we're, we're taught to, aren't we? But uh, well, we're not taught to. But we're like, um, if we upset the authority figure or the adult, the parent, whoever, um, then we feel bad, and therefore we don't want to upset the parent or authority figure that we're being raised by or whatever. Then we yeah, we suppress and we hide all these thoughts or whatever and emotions because we don't want to upset them because children are very empathetic and sympathetic like oh my goodness it's incredible yeah how... on the topic of parents uh, i just realized recently how much i thought of my father as a protector and um, i imagine this is common um but and, and obviously as a child you do need protection like physical protection or or just yeah. um where does my everyday food come from I don't know how to take care of myself. I need someone to do all that for me. So there is definitely a dependence uh, relationship. Yeah. And it's then healthy to get rid of that, to shed that. And that's where a lot of conflict comes from when you become a teenager. And then again, when you move out um, and hopefully your relationship with, with your parents will change to one where you are on the same level, uh, where you are friends that help each other out rather than one, rather than the parent expecting every advice that they give to be taken by the child and not taking any advice from the child because there, there's still that hierarchical relationship. So I think that's a common problem. Uh, yeah, I, I was lucky to have that broken kind of, kind of, kind of because of the, like my parents getting divorced and stuff. So it was like, mum raised us and from a very early age, it was like, okay, father figure's gone. I still see them like every couple of weeks or whatever, when I was like, you know, eight, nine, ten, 10. Um, and then my mum got remarried and stuff. And then, mm -hmm. you know, there's a whole bunch of interesting, like, development there. Um, but at that young age, it was never like ingrained in me that one has to be protect or provide. It was it ended, oh, one of a partnership should have to protect or provide or whatever, or I project that it was just like, mum did it all. So it was like, I didn't, yeah, I didn't see any difference, I guess. Yeah. Bless her. <laughs> she somehow managed to do it all. And so I, I think I managed to skip that whole like 
um, having a protective figure because mum didn't mom, again maybe it's just I don't know if mum didn't do it in a in a dominating way whereas men can do it in a I'm the protector again stereotyping here in a general sense but yeah. just from a majority point of view they can try to make them see themselves seen that way but mum never did that she just you know, she she stayed quiet and got on and did the things and provided and yeah I never never got I think I craved it. I think there's points where you know you, I wanted it um, to have some sort of figure, but the problem is, is most of the men that I met, I was actually sounds bad, but socially smarter than they were. Like again, emotionally and more developed. Right. Okay. Therefore, I couldn't put anyone into that position. Hmm. Um, I put some people like there were some people I did because like I respected them for what they did and. That's again, my stepdad as well. Um, but childhood is so fascinating. Again, development. Again, just kind of go yeah. off topic a bit. Development and stuff. So even though so many things can go wrong and give you a hard time for the rest of your life, it's also interesting to see how resilient we are. You know, yeah. when uh, the traditional family uh, structure uh, doesn't work out. Um, it could be a benefit and it can be of negative like it, it's it's fascinating how again we try to terminology it as a oh this is a, again positive or negative it's all mm. specific to our own situation and our own personalities and our own like because again i know some people who've been through some really horrific times again growing up but because of that they've become the person they are yeah. and i've said that even though it's scarred them for life and it's made them feel broken and all sorts it's part of who they are now and who knows yeah. how the big different things have happened again we can't tell we can't hindsight and we can't predict and i heard that you will never find a person who who is like really strong and someone you look up to and someone you want to become like that hasn't been through hell <laughs> yeah yeah so that seems to be a necessary part of becoming successful and making progress personally yeah and and since this world is is just designed in such a way to give you a hard time <laughs> of course <laughs> it's, it's, it does seem that way doesn't there it? is plenty of opportunity for growth and it, all the well it mainly depends on your um response to those difficulties in your life how it will turn out and sometimes the difficulties are too much and you have to seek help like um kind of relating it to the ocd it's like you can't help it you can't like what you're going through you can't necessarily change you just have to learn to accept yeah. like you know we talk about change and we talk about um development but yeah certain compulsions are just compulsions you can try medication you can try um like therapies and your own personal growth but sometimes it just can't be changed like there are certain times when it's so intense that it's just learning to adapt and learning to be patient and people learning to be patient again it's society sometimes is often sometimes the problem um they think that um everything has to be the one way it has to be this way because that's what's normal but actually sometimes people you know they have their ocds and stuff but what comes out of that is so sometimes so unique because they have different aspects to themselves that again might be creative might be 
mathematical, might be scientific, um, that necessarily might not be there, or as they might not be as good as them because they obsess about it and then become very good at what they want to do. So it's it's one of those things where we have to be very, I guess, be very careful where some people can change them. You know, like yourself, you can develop and progress. And myself, we change, we adapt. But I think sometimes it's just so intense that I think some people just can't handle it. Yep. When you try to force them to change. And, and then we don't fit into those um, expectations of society. Like, uh, yeah. I, I wasn't able to work a, a few years ago. And then I didn't know how long it would be that way because I always felt like I was making progress, but it was never enough to go back to full-time work. And so <clears throat> I got um, health insurance uh, benefits for a while. And then when it turned out, I couldn't work for over a year. Yeah. My contract wasn't renewed. So then I went on to the next program of the, of the state <clears throat> and so on and on. And I really hated being this um, this charity case, uh, you know, not being able to contribute because that is the expectation. You, you're only worth something in, in society if you work and contribute. And it, it was mine anyway. And so after years of going through different programs, <clears throat> accepting professional help, and just having to be patient over and over and over again still today, <clears throat> I realized that being self-employed is a great way of um, of dealing with this because now I can work, not full-time, but enough to feel like I am doing something valuable. Uh, obviously, there are other things of value outside of working, but, uh, you know, outside of making money, let's say, <laughs> because all kinds of contributions are work, but not um, the money-making type. And so I don't feel that pressure anymore of it's either 40 hours per week or nothing. Yeah, it does. It does seem that way in society where it very much is, again, all or nothing. <clears throat> and that one person's standard has to meet, meet the highest person's standard. So it's been discussed, again, it's a bit of a side topic, but it's been discussed a lot recently in the UK. Um, there's currently British gas is, has been very much a fire. Oh, what's it called? Yeah, fire and rehire mentality. If the employees don't meet the standard that's set by those that work the hardest or have like don't have families or whatever that could actually work more, then they'll fire people and rehire someone else without even a question. And that's very much been a topic of the last few, well, last week or two. And I've heard it from friends as well, especially this year, just past, where there's a lot of people unemployed and a lot of people with time on their hands. And so people's jobs who maybe have mental health problems or struggles or have all prioritize their time differently and don't work the 40, 50, 60 hour weeks. If they don't do that, then the places will just fire them and just hire someone else that will. And that is a very dangerous and scary like place to be in society because not everyone can maintain those things. Like again, myself personally, because of my um, energy levels and stuff, like, you know, I can't even yeah, do the minimum. And so therefore I get seen as, you know, worthless in terms of what I contribute through the workforce. And um, it's a very scary place for those that haven't, well, for when it's new, when they've suddenly been devalued um, just because of who they are. 
Like, it's, yeah, it's horrible. And it needs to somehow change. And as you say, self-employment, very much a, a good avenue to go down um, where yes. you can do things in your own time. It takes, it, it takes longer, it takes time because you have to build up a foundation. Mm-hmm. You have to live in your limits, which again, can vary day to day, which is very difficult for work type stuff, but it can be done. And that's the hope, that's the important thing is that it can be done. And um, I think it's learning to accept that is a hard thing as well. Yeah. I want to get back to something you mentioned earlier uh, when uh, you were using the words obsessive and compulsive for your thoughts. You weren't talking, uh, before we were talking about um, outward uh, compulsions and, and rituals to you know, mitigate the, the anxiety level that you're feeling, um, you said that you compulsively have thoughts. So not only do we ha- is it possible to have thoughts that we obsess about, but also certain thoughts or trains of thought can be the ha- habit that you perform to deal with the anxiety that you feel. And this is called um, covert OCD. And it's even more difficult to detect and to um, contravene because you have thoughts and, and they're also, also passive. Like, so when you feel like you're in a dangerous situation and you don't even realize it, uh, then you might think certain ways. You, you might deal with your situation by thinking about it a certain way. Um, is that something you can identify with? Um, I'm trying to understand, but... Um, so it's compulsive yeah. thoughts. Yeah. You're forced to deal with a certain situation by, by thinking a certain way. Um, yeah, let me try to... If, like, stop me if I'm going down the wrong uh-huh. route here. But, um, again, I, my primary example is, again, and it's maybe the wrong example to use, but I don't know, but like, again, depression, the um, suicidal tendencies, where, again, I've got them under control now, everything's good, everything's fine, but I was a teenager, and at various points in my life, when things have gone very bad, again, lost my job, lost uh, my health, everything, it, that compulsion, it's harder to resist it. So the thought, the thoughts of okay, you know, let's just end this um, existence because you you have to, at least I, um, again, if someone had medication help, because again, this is again, it's going to side tangent because we're amazing tangents, is that the concept of thoughts and the volume of thoughts and compulsion um, is fascinating because the medication actually quietens the compulsion, mm-hmm. which really intrigued me. Um, because I was like, okay, this pill I'm taking is actually affecting my thoughts volume and my desire to act upon those thoughts. And I was like, well, where do these thoughts come from? Again, your brain spirals out into a whole uh, avenue. Um, But yeah, like, 
I yeah. guess. I think it's going in the right I, direction. I think, again, I use other compulsions, again, like the artwork. Like, I get obsessed about my art or I get obsessed about writing. I used to be obsessed with uh, sport when I could. Like, and I mean obsessed, I would, I would do about four hours, six hours of exercise per day. Hmm. Um, you know, plus work, plus working, plus studying and whatever else. And I would just fill a lot of my um, time and energy with things that I wanted to, things that I would have wanted to obsess about um, or felt I had to be obsessed about. Again, it's hard to know where the root of the, like what you, what you, what we enjoy, where does that come from? You know, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people yeah. like to do sports when they have thoughts that are out of control or yes. when they're depressed and anxious because the the hormones are uh, that you produce are yeah. antidepressive and it's a great distraction so it's like and taking back control and you can also yeah that very much so that but also you can see the physical outcome of it over mm -hmm. a period of time so i loved being able to see that i could go for a run one week and then within two or three weeks have improved a time Mm -hmm. of that like the time how long it took to run that distance or whatever um because you can see you can quantify very easily the um productivity or whatever you want to call it or progression um right so I think you're talking... about, which made me feel good about myself when i was depressed so i could like counter the counter the um so two sides to it as you say the um chemical reaction but also mm -hmm. the obvious uh physical are you um, referring to the negative filter? How, how your, your brain filters out all the good things about you and you think you're a terrible person and you think you never amount to anything, but, but, then, but then this, um, so sports and other things like that, like outward things are actually evidence of the opposite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was definitely, again, yeah, it definitely helped with that. So I've never been a sport, a sporty person. Um, and I, I've never really en enjoyed it. I am a very um, analytical person. And that is maybe because that is maybe the reason why my compulsion is to think when I am in a, a threatening a, a situation that feels threatening anyway, because I will try to think the situation to death. <laughs> Maybe you can <laughs> identify with that. I will yes. try to understand what's going on. And how productive is that in your experience? <laughs> uh, not very. Um, <laughs> like, like again, it, it, all these things can again actually be used, if, if used in a certain way, are very productive. But if again, if it goes too far, that's when it becomes like, with the overanalyzing thing, I call it analyzing every variable. So if mm -hmm. I'm, if I'm, if I'm, like we talk about, it comes again from fear or worries. If I worry about the future and what might happen, or if I've done something wrong, um, then I'll think about every single possible way that I can to f fix or change. And then I have to try and pick one. That's the hard part is once you've got all those different data in your brain to then try and just follow and act on something becomes very difficult because you've got so much just white noise of data and you just work yourself up into a like it's too much like it's too much we can't handle this and then you end up just doing nothing 
Yeah. And then you feel bad because you've done nothing. And then it, it's just, it just spirals. Right. Now I, I tend to just be more impulsive. Like I tend, I've, I need to find a middle ground, but now I tend to just be like, okay, I'm just picking that choice and we'll see what happens. Um, it's, it's interesting how easy it is um, to judge a situation from the outside. I was recently talking to a friend who is uncertain about his career path and his life path. And I was listening and listening. And I thought, okay, yeah, I think I've been in a similar situation. And I told him, just do anything. <laughs> yeah. And you can always correct course later. And he said, it's easier said than done. <laughs> so it is. Yeah. it is, but at the same time, I think it's the most effective way. I think it is the most effective way to do mm -hmm. things. Yeah, I was even surprised to hear those words out of my own mouth because <laughs> yeah, I, I hate receiving advice like that. Yeah. But to, it was kind of obvious to me from an outside yeah. perspective. Yeah, because it, it, it feels too, uh, to us, it feels too, again, chaotic or too irresponsible uh -huh. to just be impulsive like that. Right. But actually, again, most people that actually seem to be happy and seem to be successful or okay the ones that just seem to just make the choices and just go through this situation. If that choice doesn't work for them, they just choose something else. And they, it's, again, it's fascinating to compare the, the ways of doing things, but obviously a little bit of analyzing, a little bit of responsible, mm -hmm. um, like, uh, yeah, analysis of a situation is obviously always helpful, but again, it's just being careful not to let it go too far. Another aspect of OCD is perfectionism. So uh, I'm very well acquainted with um, this uh, overanalyzing because I want to make sure that I make no mistakes. And, and what, what is mistake? What is wrong behavior? That, that's very subjective. And yeah. since I'm religious, uh, my ethical views are strongly biased towards um, the religious um, principles that I learned from childhood on. Uh, and and th this struck me as very interesting when I heard it from a, a therapist once. You know, depression is, well, it's many things, but, but people often feel bad about themselves. And, and what does that mean? It means that you're kind of disappointed in yourself or you feel guilty. You know, something counterproductive that keeps you from making progress and how does that come about? Because it's, since it's an evaluation, it must be based on your values. So somehow the, the disorder hijacks your values. I mean, not, not by changing them, but by, by giving you the constant feeling that you're doing just the opposite of what you value to be good or right. It, it, take, it takes it again to the extreme. Yeah. With the extreme and just, because yeah, again, there's, values as you talk about get distorted like what we're talking about at the very beginning about necessarily like um, unwanted thoughts and often those unwanted thoughts are like um takes your values and uses as the um unhealthy side of it or something like um yeah so there's a part of you that wants to keep you from changing and therefore it it uses negative signals whenever you do attempt a change, whether it's voluntarily or, or you kind of prompted from somewhere else uh, to, to punish you, to tell you, no, this, this is dangerous. This, if you go down this road, it'll end up with that 
terrible yeah. drastic uh you know situation Again, survival, where you die like you talked about before survival is it's an exaggeration of the survival yeah. process yeah and and another perspective that has helped me a lot uh, with this is um, making a difference between brain and mind so the brain is biological it has neural pathways connections associations it is a it is a biological copy of your thoughts and feelings and beliefs and this obviously doesn't fit with the worldview of a lot of people you know like uh, materialists uh, because they make no distinction between brain and mind but it's yeah. been at least it's been helpful for me to make a difference because once i had this image in my mind uh, of the two parts being at odds it helped me um, be more patient with my brain so if my brains has this pattern that, that was formed in childhood in, in a very quick and intense manner like like we said earlier um, you know it's just trying to prevent me from dying it's actually has the best of intentions for me yeah. but it, it's it's a false belief or at least it it is a very um distorted quick yeah belief a, a childish belief about yeah. how the world works but it was ingrained and never updated and so now as an adult i sometimes react in a way that a very uninformed dependent child would behave because i my brain just wants to protect me from dying <laughs> so how can i change those very hard set paths in my brain i challenge them every so often a little bit and then That's i get it. the feeling oh i'm going to die if i keep thinking this way the I, the funny statement that i use all the time is baby steps mm -hmm. and after you're talking about you know childhood development and how it happened so fast yet yeah, we have to do the opposite as an adult we have to take it slow and we have to do it little by little it's fascinating the different uh yeah changes um because yeah we have to push them like again with my anxiety that i had in the past and stuff um which i still have now but because i've pushed and pushed and pushed to get out of that over years um even a decade now um i'm much more confident like again um the anxiety comes from fear can be you know can be obsessive can lead to compulsive activity and i had to go and do things out in the community out in social situations mm -hmm. little by little and change my response to it so part of the equation is how you deal with the, the situation afterwards do you go away and cry about it and think oh, i did terrible or do you find the success within the um the situation because again truth and success mostly are relative so for example if i walked out the door and got 10 steps outside before i was too afraid mm -hmm. and had to go back inside i could go oh it's terrible i only did 10 steps or i could be like wow i did a whole 10 steps you know it's too like it's it's how again the mind affects the brain like you talk about yeah and that was very much what i had to learn to do is i had to learn to just be like okay my perception of my again success or development was what was dictating my development um so once um, that kind of checks I, I think it makes a massive difference i think so what we're talking about is called confrontation therapy and yeah. i when i first 
you know, accepted that I need to deal with with a disorder, that I have a disorder and that I need help, I was absolutely not open to confrontational therapy. But with time, I realized that it's kind of the only therapy that is effective because you need to somehow break those neural paths that have been set, you know, not violently, not, not with chemistry. The chemistry can help loosen it a bit so that you have more freedom to work voluntarily. Um, but in the case of, let's say, locking the door over and over again, it could be uh, let someone else lock the door for you. <laughs> and then you have to trust that person that they actually locked it and you, you're not allowed to go back and check. Or don't, don't lock the door, leave the house and don't lock the door. It's literally painful for that individual to do that. Like mm -hmm. it is so aggravating. Like the extreme kind of case of this is people that have like autism like people that have autism where things have to be a certain routine otherwise they physically like mentally or physically just can't cope mm -hmm. and you know you go down the scale um ocd is you know close up there to yeah it mentally being painful because that compulsion to go and change or go and check it yourself and all those kind of things um yeah it's it can be agony but as you say over time again personally for most people again this is generalizations for most people they can work through it learn to trust people but again it might take years it might take mm -hmm. decades but bit by bit it's so worth it it's so much better than going down okay for one year you're doing it three times checking in two years you're doing oh, sorry in five years you're doing it ten times checking because again there very rarely is a neutral Right. It either goes one way or the other. The obsession will get more and more and more as it's reinforced or it'll get less and less and less as it's um, exposure therapy or what was the term you used? Confrontation therapy. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking German again. You're right. Officially, it's called exposure therapy. Exposing oh, yeah, you, yourself yeah. to the danger. Confrontation sounds good to me. Like I was like, yeah, that's um, either or. Is mm -hmm. that, that is something that cannot be forced on you. So no. No, if, if someone if someone else feels that they're doing you a favor by Oof. exposing you to something averse to you, yeah, then that, that could actually deepen your your trauma. That, that could be abuse. That literally yeah. could be abuse. So it is something that you need to decide for yourself to do. Excellent and, point. And it, it's it, it it's um, what that activity is depends totally on your compulsion. And since in my case my compulsion is based in thought. I can just lie there and so most of the time my self-therapy is just lying there in bed and then exposing myself to beliefs that I usually avoid for fear of dying. Yeah. And and just, just yesterday I was able to, to do this like in, in, in full control. I could think a dangerous thought and yeah. feel, feel like I'm going to die and then distract myself and then think it again and I just went back and forth and over time that fear reaction uh, leveled off so uh, a therapist uh, explained to me once that usually you're like in the beginning you're um this is the graph uh, for the yes. I, I don't know what the hormones are but but the, the fear in your body you know it, there is a yeah. mental part and a, and a chemical part to it and it will shoot up if you're in the the situation that you usually try to avoid and then with time you know the feeling of danger levels off well, starting is the hardest part, isn't it? Starting is the most difficult part because it's the most intense. You're, you're closest to 
that level of fear. And that's why people don't change right. because that initial step is the most difficult. Yeah, you, you kind of need to push yourself over and over. It's, it's yeah. not just one thing. It's not something like you keep saying that happens by itself. You, you actually need to do something, whether with direction from a professional or a mentor or someone else who's been through something similar in your family or your circle of friends, that, that can always be a big help. Yeah. Uh, someone the same age is usually more helpful, I find, than someone from a different age group. And then just uh, challenge yourself and your yeah. comfort zone. And then that that level of fear will not shoot as high every time. It will talk, talk to people about it as well. I think it's oh, yeah. something that only courage because that helps to keep it. One, they will likely give you the success acknowledgement that you should actually be giving yourself, being like, well done. I'm, I'm super proud of you. That's awesome. Because when you're talking about, you know, you lying in bed and doing your um, exposure confrontation. And I'm just in my head and heart. I'm just like, oh, that's like, I'm so, I'm like, I'm so proud of you, like, for doing that, like, for you, because again, I know how difficult that is. So anytime I hear someone like a friend like yourself do those kind of things, I'm always just like, oh man, like that's awesome, well done. Mm -hmm. And but we don't give ourselves that same very often that same mm -hmm. encouragement, um, and that's the positive reinforcement that we need. So often, yeah, if we can talk to someone that understands it and who understands us then it can definitely be an extra little benefit into the progress i guess and and you're not hiding it anymore so i used to have a, a double identity i guess you could say uh one is always happy always sociable always oh, yeah. doing or interested in whatever one else is interested in and then save all the pain and loneliness and and anxiety for later when i'm on my own but yeah. actually you're you should be one person i mean that's the healthiest way to live and you yeah. should be, and when you do dare talk about your weakness to other people, then usually I'm surprised uh, that how, how well they take it and that they don't just yeah. try to get, get rid of me out of their lives. And, and yeah, there are individuals that, that are a nightmare, but actually most of humanity actually are very compassionate. Yeah. They may not understand necessarily the way we want them to, but actually most human beings, if you're one-on-one, -on -one, without a group situation, just chatting to them, actually most people will try to understand in their own way. As long as, unfortunately, if they don't have work to do or if, if, they, if they've got the free time, because that's also yeah. an important factor, is that a lot of survival in our societies um, means people to actually, they are actually too busy to be able to help and be compassionate the way they actually probably want to. And so therefore, again, it's finding the right people that have the time, energy, um, because again, a lot of it actually is just circumstantial, like the, the, when people can actually help or not. Yeah, you need to be in a good place yourself in order to uh, have enough capacity left over uh, to help other people. But then yeah. once you do, you actually gain something from being there for someone else. Yes. It's a virtuous cycle. It is. It is. So yeah, finally, um, I wanted to see if you agree with this uh, thought that I had. I think that illnesses, um, especially mental illnesses, I would say, cannot be categorized so strictly into this is ADHD, this is anxiety yeah. disorder, this is OCD, this is social anxiety. Actually, they 
they overlap so much that it's it's not always helpful to distinguish so sharply between them and that everyone is affected in some way and it's a matter of degree so like i said earlier it's it's a, considered a disorder when it keeps you from being able to lead a normal life you know sustainable life uh, yeah. independent kind of life but uh, i believe that everyone has false beliefs inside of them not yeah. because i'm an expert i just this is just, just kind of an assumption i have about people because i do from time to time observe that someone reacts to something in an irrational or intense or exaggerated way and then i don't right away just try to explain to them oh well this fits to the, into the pattern i i just read about um no that that's usually not helpful but that everyone has you know is affected yeah. but maybe they just don't mind getting on with life and and pushing away the problem until a later time when they absolutely have to because it's so painful yeah and that's okay like that's you know that's the people are allowed to do these things it's uh, sure. like it's, it's a struggle at times because again especially if it's close family members or friends because you care for them so much that actually you know you might want to help them so I, I i have in the past you know wanted to share these things and whatever else but it wasn't until um my brother, for example, went through a situation which caused him to have extreme anxiety that he then confronted, as you say, a lot of the false beliefs. It caused him to confront those, whereas in the past I had tried to little by little help him confront them himself every so often because I could already see it in him. But because he wasn't ready or whatever, then it wouldn't, you know, it doesn't work. But once he went for the experience himself, he was in, you know, we were able to have lots of chats and lots of discussion and to help um deprogram probably not the right term oh that's a great term no yeah you um, also find that most people um are not willing or ready to change to work on themselves in this way uh, until they absolutely can't avoid the topic anymore for for pain or you know so painfully they don't they now have to yeah yeah i was the same i was the same i there was many yeah. things that until i got pushed right to the and the thing is, before that, I wasn't, again, I wasn't that, like, it wasn't like anything was that wrong with me, or like, if that makes sense, or like, that unproductive with me. Like, it was just a bunch of just thoughts and um, structured ways of thinking that I could have gone my whole life without having them broken and lived a decent life. But yeah. for whatever reason, universe comes along and it's like, nope, we're going to keep your circumstances to the point where you can no longer deal with this situation and you're going to have to confront it. And so, yep, confront it, process it, take years to um, deprogram it, and then actually now be much happier in myself yeah. and who I am and more open even more open because i'm still pretty open even more open to um differences in you know personality in loving people no matter what in um yeah a whole bunch of different things that were slightly jaded beforehand um so yeah it's and it's, and it's fear it comes down to fear we're afraid to confront those things because it's painful as you as we've talked about um the ideal would be if we could all just be objective enough to sit down in a circle and 
tell each other, oh, maybe this needs changing, <laughs> that needs changing without being offended, and then be like, okay, we'll help each other and move forward. That would be the most ideal scenario. But as human beings, we have our pride, we have our prejudices. Um, well, to name the book title. Um, but uh, yeah, but going back to what you're saying about the um, anxiety, depression, all under the same spectrum, is I think, again, like we've talked about before, is often it needs to be categorized to help us understand it. Yeah. But actually it's all in the same sphere it's it's again it's all part of the big whole it's they cross over as you say they all come from uh, they all can kind of i think except very extreme situations because we have to always remember that there are certain situations where actually people can't be helped and they unfortunately have to spend the rest of their lives either in a mental health hospital are you, think, or, are you talking about the psychopaths yeah like 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 um having been in a, a mental health hospital for a few months because my own things years ago um i very quickly became aware that actually no matter how much medication you give someone or therapy you help them with actually there are certain scenarios certain people that their chemistry is so warped or their conditioning that they've been brought up with is so intense or they're so um crippled by alcohol or drugs for mm -hmm. example that actually you can create a safety net and control the environment enough that they can st still live, but actually not necessarily be independent or be yeah. out in society, if that makes sense. So that's the extremes, but talking about general society and what we've been talking about, um, yeah, like there are definitely, you know, ways to confront these things together. Now, looking back, I can see how, um, my friends from school, let's say, uh, could, you know, detect some strange behavior in me, uh, but wouldn't really point it out to me. And I sometimes wonder why not? Uh, wouldn't, have wouldn't it have helped me? But probably not, not because I didn't accept back then that I needed help or that I needed to change. And I didn't understand what was going on. So I didn't see the need. I wasn't motivated uh, to change and it would have been um, too difficult without the motivation of extreme pain or uh, anxiety or loneliness or whatever you're going through. But now that I have accepted that I need to work on something, I no longer need that extreme uh, low in order to get me motivated. And now I don't want to stop working on myself, you know, even though I'm all right, I'm in a situation that is kind of uh, sustainable. <laughs> like I said, it's it's not full-time work, but it's it's yeah. uh, where I have step in, in the right direction in kind of enough happiness to to not have a terrible life. Uh, yeah. But it, I, I'm, I'm uh, confident that it will get better. Um, what was I saying? Now I just think of it as self-development. You know how there are tons of self-help books and, and how some people think uh, that they're all just for loonies and, and I don't need help. I, I get by just the way I am. Well, in a sense, they are for mentally ill people, but in another sense, they're just for people who want to work on themselves and improve themselves. Because once you see how amazing this um, change can be, how, how much it can profit you in life, you, I, I just want 
to keep working on this stuff it's about in many ways it's about freedom it makes you feel free from your constraints and your chains like because there are certain things about ourselves that we you know we become slave to like a compulsion or like anxiety we become enslaved by them and if we can free ourselves from them or work with them um then yeah it's we feel individually more free and that's always a good thing i think yeah like i said i, I want to talk more on the topic of freedom in our yeah. episodes so <laughs> nice of you to finish on that um yeah. once we get all the, the the blocks out of the way in our brains and our minds and our lives then what's left over is natural and pure and works well the the way it would it would ideally so we just need to keep what works and get rid of what doesn't work yeah yeah and it becomes a natural process like the start again as we talked about earlier is always the most difficult but the more you go through a process of self-development it becomes less of a conscious self-development it just it just becomes habit and therefore you're constantly not even realizing developing um different strategies and different um new thought patterns or breaking the old patterns or whatever that enable yeah happiness and self-awareness and um i think um i guess more harmony within ourselves and understanding of who we are when, when you get rid of all the all the things that that keep blocking you and that keep causing you pain then eventually you actually get to a level where you start being more creative you start building and yes. increasing the good things rather than just decreasing the the bad things in your life that's an amazing place and and we yeah. hope that this discussion was helpful for you out there to uh, maybe identify with this train of thought yourself and uh, find that there is something you can do for yourself um that you are valuable um that you are a person worth um living worth yeah. uh worth spending time with and uh, i certainly believe so and i i hope uh, this can somehow empower you and uh, enable you to see that there is light at the end of the tunnel 